As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, senior writer for The Athletic, along with Randy Mueller, three-time GM, former NFL exec of the year. Good morning, Randy. Morning, Mike. How we doing, buddy? Feel like it's a little bit of a black cloud over us after uh, the Thursday night game. So we got to got to grind away and, and make it a positive. You know what I mean? Well, certainly I think our analysis will be pretty good on it. And it was a difficult situation in the yeah. Bengals 27 to 15 victory over the Dolphins uh, surrounding the quarterback of the Dolphins to a tongue of law leaving the game. There's a lot of circumstances, a lot of things to unpack here. Randy actually had a conversation with a former longtime NFL trainer that he worked with, and we're going to reconstruct some of that here and and, and give you sort of a, a front row seat to what the types of conversations that could go on between a general manager and a trainer, uh, medical people, regarding a situation like this. Obviously very sensitive. We are going to get into that. We have a full show of other stuff, too, including that game. We're going to discuss some all-time great running backs today in honor of Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor being featured this week. We have some thoughts on the Chargers' injury luck. Randy spent a decade with that organization. Definitely has some insights there. Uh, we're going to talk about the Jaguars. Hopefully, we can get to Justin Fields. Very critical comments about himself. The Jets' tackle situation and their accountability for that. 
We've got a GM notebook again. Dallas, Washington, canceled Pro Bowl, Ken Dorsey meltdown. We've got our picks, game previews, the whole thing. Are you ready for all that, Randy? <laughs> I don't know. Let's get to it. We'll see. We, we always start by saying, well, I don't know if we can fill a half an uh, hour. And the next thing you know, we're <laughs> over an hour. So we'll see. Exactly. We don't want to bore the people. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of there's a, there's a, there's a there's a big range of things. And I think that obviously the big story is Tua leaving the game on a stretcher uh, on right. national TV or, or national Amazon Prime streaming as it is now on a stretcher with a head injury after getting slammed to the turf. Five days after leaving the Dolphins game against Buffalo and then returning to it, despite the fact that he had staggered after getting thrown down hard and hitting his head in that game. Uh, and so, Randy, we can get into some of the particulars of this. I am interested, though, in your conversation um, you had. Recreate that a little bit for us. What did you do? What was your thought process going into it? What, what did that go like? Well, I, I really just and I'll say this initially when when this happened last night, though I guess we're recording on Friday, it's safe to say that, I didn't think a giant thing would be made of it. But At the time, when, in real at time. At the time, yeah. I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm hardened football guy, you know, this happens a lot. I think I may have even texted you, you know, players have never been kept safer than they are right now. But after you think about it and you and you consider all the ramifications of it, I woke up this morning saying, you know what, how do we get here? How, how did all this happen? You know, I, I recollected back to that Sunday game last week. And, yeah. you know, when that happened initially, when Tua got bounced in the Buffalo game in Miami last Sunday, I remember commenting at the time, he's done. That's it. I was shocked yeah, that he came yeah. back in the game. He got up. He wobbled. He he All of the uh, common occurrences that come with a brain injury or a, or a concussion, he showed, right? Walking as he as yeah. as he laid down, then he gets up and he kind of pauses and feels his helmet a little bit and shakes his head like shaking the cobwebs out, like we've all seen. Yeah. Then he gets up, starts to walk, and then he goes down again. Well, again, I'm no doctor, but gosh, that seems like a lot of common, you know, commonalities to to a what we all have seen for years and years being concussions. So we went from that to. All of a sudden, the second half, he's back and he's rolling and and there's no issues. So then you couple that with the fact that even in a normal week after you sustain something like that, and, and I, I guess the initial comments from the Dolphins were that it was a being evaluated for a concussion. Then it got changed to a back injury of some kind. During the process, the, the, the targets got moved around, so to speak, as to what was really wrong with him. At that point, I'm thinking, wow, wait, are we trying to hide something? There was just a lot of things that it entered in then. And in a normal week, when it's a back or a neck or a head, you have a bunch of boxes that you have to check before that player then is allowed to come back. This was a short week, as we all know. It was four days. So some of these boxes that normally take a week, two weeks, three weeks to check had to be rushed because of the timing of their next game while the nflpa is initiating an investigation of all of this sometimes you have a concussion with delayed symptoms it doesn't happen right away yes. we didn't have as much time for all of those things to play out even Correct. if things were followed to the letter of whatever the protocols are um, right concerning so anyway you decided you would call a trainer to talk about this well, and again, I called the trainer who I was with for a long time in the NFL who actually hired, and I said, let's talk about this as if it was Sunday, as if it were Monday, 
And you present to me the case of why, what's going on, and then what should we do about it? I'm no expert. No GM is an expert. In Miami, Chris Greer is not the expert. The president of the club is not the expert. The coach is not the expert. We've got to listen to the medical people. And at the end of the day, however we decide whatever the injury is, the team medical, the, the head of medical, and in this case, because there was a concussion involved, an independent neuro you know, uh, Analyst physician, yeah. yeah, they're going to be involved and they have to sign off on a subjective reasoning at the end of it to let him go back or not. So there's just a lot of things that have to happen. When I listen to the trainer talk to me for 10, 15 minutes, I'm thinking, there's no way I would want this guy to go back out there. What are we trying to prove? We can't, I can't, he can't answer all the questions that we have. And uh, this is our quarterback. So we're going to err on the side of player safety always, no matter the position. But in this case, we've got to play the long game. So I was shocked that after having this discussion that they wouldn't have had this on Sunday. They wouldn't have had it Monday morning as well. And then really played it safely all week long. Because let's face it, one of the boxes you have to check is you've got to go back out to practice. You've got to exert yourself. I don't think the Dolphins practiced last week. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to make a giant leap of faith, but I guarantee you they didn't practice on Monday. They probably watched film on Tuesday. Guess what they did Wednesday? They traveled <laughs> for a Thursday game. So at most, you're probably a week getting of, a There wasn't through. a regular week of practices Correct. to You're not getting the, the exertion, the tests, the, the actual field activities that you would normally get. So I just thought the whole thing was rushed. And really what he sold me on was this guy probably should not have played. Now, there's a lot of takes to that. I would say this. You have to be there to gather the information. Those of us on the outside that think we're experts don't know because we haven't heard the dialogue on the inside of these buildings. And there's a lot of things behind the scenes that go on that even, trust me, even social media doesn't get. You know, So, <laughs> so there's a lot of information, I say that tongue-in-cheek, that we just don't know. So that was my take at the end of it was, I'm going to I'm going to go with the medical experts and there's no way in this case this medical expert was sold on this kid playing well, especially yeah. in a short week. It's that initial evaluation from the game on Sunday where they determined that this, you know, quote unquote gross motor instability was right. not related to the brain. That once that decision was made that this was not a concussion, then it followed a course to where after that, the protocol is probably pretty much followed, even though it was a compressed week. And then we get into, I think, a more subjective evaluation. I think what's happened here is uh, so much has been put into the protocols, okay, that we've taken away than any of the human judgment part, which for the most part works well. We generally don't want the human judgment part coming in because too much in history, that sides with playing a guy. <laughs> but I think in this case, it could have sided with, hey, let's just be safe here. And you've well, got an yeah. Yeah. You've got at an the end of it, it. At the end of each one of these decisions, you're right. Two people in this case have to decide that it's okay for this guy to go back and play. And they decided it was. Yeah. And so now we've got an organization that's already doesn't have the most credibility with the shoot their owner suspended. They've had another story. taken Correct. away. Uh, you, you know, their coach, their old coach is suing them. There's just a lot of. There's the a Tom lot Brady of, tamperine behind yeah, the scenes. There's the, a lot the, of distrust yeah. around, you know, them anyway. A lot of chaos, uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of that. So they probably don't get the benefit of the doubt that just automatically that you might if you'd built up a little bit more equity there. I think this is going to be very interesting how it plays out. Hopefully it ends up being a, a good thing in the future. This was a weird set of circumstances to where that judgment would have made, made on a Sunday 
uh, then you have a short week, then you're playing and traveling. There's a lot of things that came together to make this not fit uh, into the normal box right. or the, where thing, these things are evaluated. It was really an outlier case that I think it looks like um, the system broke down. Over. No doubt. No doubt. The system was broken. And maybe from a big picture standpoint, we do gain and learn and improve on the whole process. But for the Dolphins, they're going to pay the price. It's not It's not good for them, for sure, in any way, shape, and or form. And Tua. Yeah, and, or Tua, for sure, yes. Yeah, and then, then it had to happen that, I mean, that was an unusually violent slam down. You don't normally get slammed down like he did in the game that had to happen too so right. there there was a scenario where he played the game and didn't take a hit like that and we're not even having this conversation um but he did take the hit we are having it there's going to be fallout the pa and a lot of people are upset with it the optics of it were terrible you you can talk protocols or this or that but we just all saw what we saw on sunday and saw what we saw on thursday and we know it doesn't smell right yeah i agree i think it all started though with the unsteadiness that resulted from whatever they want to call it, the neck, the back on Sunday, that it just, you know, snowball got away from them then. And and you and I have watched a lot of football. When you see that happen, there's no way that guy's coming back. Or or why would you? And especially in this day and age. So mistakes were made, uh, no doubt about it. I think it's a shame that somebody has to always say whose fault is it, whose fault is it. But in this case, there may be some some fault for sure. But there has to be accountability in it. Yeah, certainly. no doubt. And I think they're going to they're going to drive on that now and see. Hopefully, Tua uh, is okay. We did listen to Mike McDaniel after the game. Um, thought that it was as good of a situation as it could have been under the circumstances, and he basically said, "Hey, look, I don't make these decisions. It's not my uh, pay grade. We were leaning on the medical staff on that. So right. that's there's going to be a lot of scrutiny um, there for sure. And we have not." Heard the end of this more broadly on the game itself. We did mention that uh, the Bengals won the game 27 to 15. Obviously, Tua was knocked out. Teddy Bridgewater came in, ran the offense decently, then not as well. Had a late interception, a potential miscommunication. Um, what do you think of the teams and game itself? Apart yeah, from I think utter? I think I I told you I had a chance to dive into some film before the game, and I really was curious about what Cincinnati was holding them back. What were the, was the chaos? And when I analyzed it before the game, I thought this was a really good matchup for Miami. I thought Miami's power, Miami's physicality, their strength on both lines would win the game for them under normal circumstances. Now there yeah. was, as we just talked about, spent 15 minutes. So there's, this was far from normal. Plus they had to travel on a Thursday after a game where their defense played 90 plays in the heat and humidity of Miami. So I didn't know what they'd have left. But my guess is that if these guys played four or five times, that Miami would win four of the five. You know, yeah. That's just what I thought. I just thought they were the better team. And I didn't really see any different last night. What I saw when I dove into the film was, we know what Cincinnati's offensive line was mm, evaluated to be a year ago. We saw all the sacks. Unfortunately, we've seen the same sacks up to this point as well. They have not been good. They changed four of their five parts up front. And I guess what I took take from this and, and have always kind of thought this, when teams make changes on paper for personnel, for rosters, doesn't mean you're going to have it fixed. Just because you change doesn't mean you're, you're, you're yep. going to be better. And I'm not sure they are better. They're playing a left guard who's a rookie, a fourth round pick who's struggled, really struggled the first three or four games. They've got a new center. They've got a new right guard. They've got a new right tackle. The holdover... 
He's a first-round pick, Jonah Williams, from 2019. He might be playing worse than all of them right now. That's the scary part about it. I just felt like they're they're missing a lot of things, and it's not all necessarily individually. Collectively, they're not playing well either, and I think there's plenty of blame to go around for their offense, but that's kind of where it started with me, and I was really disappointed, and maybe the listeners say, well, this is an earth-shattering. We know Joe and his had been sacked a bunch, but when you really break it down, it's more of a communicative thing than it is a particular player not being good. They're just not playing good together. And I think when you change or make the amount of change that they did, especially up front, the the ability to communicate and work together as a unit, uh, those offensive line groups struggle until they're comfortable with each other. And, you know, one of the things we've seen in the past, Randy, is I, we haven't sensed it as much the last couple of years. But I remember a few years ago, there was a lot of hand-wringing over offensive line play early in the year. And then shoot, by the middle of the year, some of those units played better, got better together. Um, is there a possibility, do you think, that, that hey, it looks bad now, but look, they don't get the same work they used to in training camp. This line hasn't been together. You changed all these parts. Maybe they're not uh, all better one guy over the guy he replaced, but maybe as a group, they can come together and be better as the season progresses. Is that a possibility or is that fool's gold based on the personnel that you see out there? Is it good enough for that to happen? I think it. you always hope for that. And I do think they can get better individually. They aren't playing up to where they probably, their skill sets should, should have them. I think there are other things that are involved where the Cincinnati offense is far from clicking on all cylinders. I saw some basic blitzes that were five-man blitzes that they let guys come scot-free on the backside of the quarterback. That's really not an alignment's fault. Maybe it is for directing protections, but I saw some scheme issues in their protections because of that. I saw some design flaws in, in the run game as well. I mean, they're running basic toss plays at time and pulling the center, and it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. The center is, is pulling and actually behind the back with the ball. So unless the back is going to pitch a triple option to the center, he's he's wasting his time, effort, and space. And I saw it more than once in the Jets game a, a week ago. So the design isn't clicking on all cylinders either. The other thing is, I just don't think Joe Burrow is the Joe Burrow we saw last year yet. Now, some of this might be because of rust. We know he had an appendicitis. He yeah. yeah, he missed time all during camp. But I see a guy that's edgy in the pocket. I see a guy that has bolted and he's looking for the rush a little bit and, and bolting early and then not throwing accurately on the run. I thought it was interesting, a comment that Curve Herbstreet made, and you know I'm not a fan of the analysts on, on yeah, Prime, Amazon. but he made this point last night about how great of an athlete Joe Burrow is. Joe Burrow is not a great athlete. That's not, that's not true at all. He's an average athlete at the NFL level of quarterbacking. So he can keep plays alive by moving around. He's never going to be confused with the yeah. Lamar Jacksons or Kyler Murray's of the world. So I, I just, he's not a great athlete. He needs help. And when he's not sharp and the rest of the people around him aren't sharp, he's going to struggle. The other thing I saw was, was uh, Mixon, the running back. Joe. Um, yeah. Joe Mixon, his vision, not the same. Holes were there that he missed time after time. And again, I'm referring to the Jets game more so than last night, but you saw the numbers per, per attempt last night. It was no better. They're really struggling to gain yardage on the ground. But I think some of that is up front, but it's also some of Mixon running into the back of the right guard or running into the back of the right tackle. And that's, yeah. you know, when there is a crack to hit, he's got to be more instinctive to find that. So I, I guess there's plenty of blame to go around. It's not as simple as, hey, the offensive line, you know, we can on paper change them and we should be better. What's wrong? 
Yeah, I think there. I think there's a. The the Bengals actually are a compromise between what we thought they were last year, which going into the year, everyone thought they were a bottom three team in the AFC, mm-hmm. uh, and then what they ended up in the year, the top team in the AFC. They weren't really either one of those. They're somewhere in between. And I think we're seeing that this year with some of the fundamental building blocks of the offensive line are not what they need to be. I think you see flashes of Joe Burrow and what he is and can be. I like some of the aggressive play calling last night when they're basically in a four minute mode, hitting 30 yarders down that, you know, against the backup corner for Miami or even the pass play down, um, down in tight, you know, where you could have just run into the line and not gotten it. I like you, you see flashes of things you like and the aggressiveness and, and obviously the ability with Jamar Chase and Burrow to throw the ball. You're just not seeing the consistency with it. And, Maybe a reminder that they were a four seed in the AFC that went to the Super Bowl, not a one seed. And they're good. They're okay. But they're yeah. not a Super Bowl team. Is that I fair? I concur. Yep. I think yeah. that's a fair assessment of exactly where they're at. They're somewhere in the middle, and who knows if they'll get there, but they've got a long ways to go. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so let's transition into uh, our next set of topics, and we're going to talk about some great running backs. This week in week four, we've got Tennessee with Derrick Henry playing the Indianapolis Colts with Jonathan Taylor, two of the best backs in the league uh, right now, really uh, big producers over the last few years. I use the occasion to do what I like to do, Randy. I love to get into the history. I love to uh, look at what does a... Hall of Fame back look like from a statistical production standpoint. There's always outliers. Someone like Gail Sayers didn't play as long, but he's still a Hall of Famer based on being unique. Uh, but what I did was I took the uh, 100 all-time running back rushing leaders uh, in the history of the league, and I evaluated their scrimmage yardage in their best six seasons. Scrimmage yardage then would take into account receiving. And I put together a, a top 100 off of that, Starts out with a lot of the people you'd expect to see: Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson, so on. Thurman Thomas, Marshall Falk come in because of their receiving. And there's some other guys in the top 20 that I think are interesting and fun to discuss. Uh, 
in LaShawn McCoy, Tiki Barber, Ricky Waters, Clinton Portis, Matt Forte, Otis Anderson. Remember Otis Anderson? Yep. Uh, some of the guys not in the Hall of Fame. Roger Craig's up there, too. I think he was at 21, and he's been trying to get into the Hall of Fame, been close. But sometimes we don't really know what to do, I think, with someone who uh, is a little bit of a different flavor, right? The, those Nate guys I mentioned, some of those guys caught the ball almost as well as they run it. They were all around players and backs. Any thoughts after seeing that and, and in light of this contest this week with Derrick Henry and well, Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, I think your story was was not only interesting, but it, it, its timing is perfect with the matchup this weekend with Taylor and Henry because they are interesting backs themselves. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest, it, just as a overlie, and, and I didn't see Jim Brown. He was before my time. But Barry yeah. Sanders was the best back I ever saw. He's the best back in my 40 years of being uh-huh. in the NFL. For me, the most complete, the hardest to get on the ground, the most feared. I thought he was the best back that I've seen in my time in the NFL. I don't know okay. if you, what you think well, about that. I, well, here's my question. You said most complete. He wasn't a good on third down, though, was he? He wasn't a catcher. He wasn't a protector. When I think of the best all-around backs, I'm thinking of you know, some of these other guys with that. Walter, to me, Walter Payton. Now, Jim Brown is the best for what he did, Jim Brown's the best. Right. But but when I I think Barry Sanders is the best runner I've ever seen. Like I don't think there's anyone comparable to his ability to stop, start, just he could gain one yard and it could be the best run of the week in the NFL yeah. uh, on the play. But to me, like somebody like Walter Payton, who could catch it, block, run. What his highlight reel of runs is great. It may not be Barry Sanders, but. To me, that's more of an all of the all around. What do you think about that on Barry Sanders across all the downs? I agree with you, and as usual, your words make more sense than mine. So <laughs> I, I'm with you 100 percent on the, the fact runner. that Barry yeah. is the best runner I've ever seen. Yep. Yes, yep. because he can make yards inside, he can make yards outside, he can make yards on a reverse, he can make yards any way you wanted. And like I said, he was the hardest guy to get on the ground. So, yeah. uh, but I don't disagree. I think the other guys you mentioned in the passing game, especially, made them slightly more complete. But I guess you're right. The, the best runner of the football I ever saw was was Barry Sanders. I would agree. So we agree on the same thing. You just said it. I, I just went- You said it a lot better than I was me. like the attorney. I tried to use your words <laughs> too specifically. But what you meant was just your, for your money as a runner, Barry Sanders is in a different category as a runner. And I would agree. I, I don't think there's anyone who could do um, it the way he did it. <laughs> I mean, right. I don't know how his legs didn't break You know, when, when he was breaking everyone else's ankles. Uh, just unbelievable ability to stop and start. Um, of those other guys in there, Sometimes when they're re- more recently retired, we don't have as full of appreciation. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, Tiki Barber, Ricky Waters, Portis, Forte. Yeah. Any of those guys? Of those guys, who do you like? Who do you really like? I know you signed Ricky Waters in Seattle. Ricky Waters, I had a chance to live with and be around. Obviously, love him. I guess the one that surprised me, maybe as much as any, was LaShawn McCoy. Yeah. Just because I didn't know he had those kind of numbers. I didn't know he could be in the same paragraph with these other guys. Now, when you watch him, he has skill set is special now. You talk about stop, start, jump cut, all that stuff. He can do all that. He was amazing in that regard. Probably more explosive than some of these other guys that are on the list. I just didn't know that he had backed it up for so long. And and I think you had some pre-qualifier numbers that even to get in this discussion and he had yeah. those so yeah. that one probably surprised me more than anything I've always known Matt Forte to be an all-around guy he was really a good player on passing downs um, yep. a little bit surprised that Otis Anderson I don't know back in the 70s and 80s if they threw the ball enough for him to be a factor but I'm sure they grinded and he was a he was the face of their offense you know with Jim Hart and in the St. Louis Cardinals per se for a lot of time so 
Not not quite as surprised. Yeah, Otis Anderson was a big uh, back, a really good. How how big was Otis Anderson? Otis Anderson was six two two twenty. That I have such an appreciation for those types of guys that are just different. Like, what what's when's the first time you ever saw Eric Dickerson on a football field, Randy? Yeah, nineteen eighty three. I mean, nineteen eighty four, somewhere in there when when I was a young kid. And you you have to look up to these guys. But even Marcus Allen, like, have you ever been standing next oh, to Marcus Allen? Yeah, he's a big guy too now. So one of the one of the amazing things I saw in this, because so Jonathan Taylor in his first two years has about, uh, I don't know, a couple thousand yards. Whatever his yards was, was the sixth best in the history of the league for the first two years of a career. Okay. Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Eric Dickerson's got that beat by a thousand yards. <laughs> and not in a catch the ball era. Eric Dickerson was so dominant. that Here's another thing. Uh, Henry Ellard, remember their receiver on the Rams? Yep. Henry Ellard never had never had a wide receiver season that really factored statistically when Dickerson was there. When they traded Dickerson to the Colts, the next yep. year he led the league in receiving. Right. That's <laughs> what an impact Eric Dickerson was. I think he's somebody who's a little underappreciated for just how big, fast, and badass he was as a runner. Yep. Um, and 6'3", 220. Yeah, you know? I agree. Yeah. The, the, the size of some of these guys does yeah. amaze you. And hey, we had a guy in Seattle, and this not to bore people, but you remember Derek Finner, right? Yeah, Derek Finner, yeah. running back. He led the led the NFL in touchdowns, touchdowns. one year with yeah. fifteen. He's yeah. six foot four. So these are big guys that hey, I'd go play basketball with them any day, you know. So you yeah. forget how big they are when you see what they do on the football field. The really special, the really different guys who are fast and tall and big. I think the appreciation for that can be a little bit lost until you've been on the field and see those guys. It's kind of like being at an NFL game. Unless you've been down on the field, you don't understand how fast it is. And right. some of these guys are just shocking. So that that's the thing with some of these guys. Just sh- Derek Henry's kind of like that too. I mean, they're just shockingly different. It's like seeing Cam Newton for the first time in person. Right. You're like, oh my yeah. gosh. Well, it, it happened to me with Josh Allen. And I'd been around yes. the league for 40 years. When yes. I see Josh Allen walking in the room as a junior at Wyoming, and I say, whoa. <laughs> that, that's how you draw them up right there. You know, that's different. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. They're different. So, okay, let's move along. We got some other good topics here. Charger injuries. And I know it's a sensitive topic down there in Charger <laughs> Land. You ever bring it up? They're sensitive yeah. to the idea that, that anything's different there. But man, it seems like every year, Randy, there's a list of guys that are premium players for them a lot of the years uh, who have an injury that is a season ender or a big one affecting them. Justin Herbert with the ribs. We got Joey Bosa with the groin tear. We got their left tackle out for the season. If you could have said before the season, Randy, hey, who are three guys on the Chargers that we want to protect from getting hurt this year? Obviously, you would say Herbert, the quarterback. That's for almost any team. But you might say Bosa and Slater might be two of the next guys. They'd certainly be in your top five. And these guys are out. Is there something systemic here? You are with the Chargers. You know, not necessarily. You were you were on the road a lot. It wasn't like you were, um, you know, in, in the office with the the GM every day. But you were part of that team for ten years. What what the heck? Injuries are an issue with them, and they have been. I agree with you. There's there's really nothing new about this. In fact, they changed trainers. They've changed doctors. They've changed everything along the way in the last five or six years just because of this. Um, I think that the biggest thing for me is and and. It seemed like this happened to us about every other year. We would get hit with a bunch of injuries. I never felt like we were ready for it. 
I never felt like the quality backup that we had went and got and actually spent money to get, I don't think that ever was there. It wasn't ever in place. So we were always kind of shifting guys around, much like you saw the Jets do it this year when when Becton got hurt. They signed uh, Brown. Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown, like 37. 37 years yeah. old. You know, Chicago did it a year ago with bringing Peters. in an older guy to fill in. It's just like we... We got to have a better plan. We got to have. We got to be ready for this. We might have to spend some money on a third tackle or something like this. And I've always felt like that's kind of held the Chargers back. They've just never had enough guys to withstand the rash of injuries that sometimes teams get. So again, it's it's probably why I was never comfortable with our roster, no matter how it looked on paper and how what others might have said about it. Not necessarily with the Chargers, but even when I was a GM was never comfortable enough to say, okay, we're good. No matter who gets hurt, we're good. You, you just, you can never know when and where these injuries are going to come from. So you got to be, yeah. it's like Abe Gibbon used to say on the old NFL films, watch everything, be ready for everything. You know, you, yeah. you can't be ready for everything. I think that uh, the, the question is, is there something in the water there that yeah. makes them have more <laughs> of these injuries? And, you know, these things are hard to put your finger on, but the Rams have been a quite healthy team yeah. uh, over the years. And, they have some of their kind of trainers and and those types of people have ended up going other places. Like Minnesota's got one of their guys. Philly has one of their guys. I'll be kind of interested to see if they are on something. Because Randy, doesn't some of this have to do, and uh, you know, with the management of your roster and your team and how you practice and how you the whole thing is kind of interconnected in a way that is hard to see from the outside, but does. Can you set up a system of how we do things that uh, reduces your chances for injuries? Or is that just a whole big ball of gray and no one really knows what the hell's going on? Well, I think there's some of that involved. I think injuries are going to happen. You're not going to be able to avoid that. But I do think some teams are further along with regard to setting up load management and how to track it and how to follow it and have done it for years. Shoot, Chip Kelly with the Eagles, before he got fired there, brought his stuff from Oregon, and the Oregon Ducks were way ahead of NFL teams when it came to load management and tracking and all this stuff. Shoot, soccer has been doing it for years, and I think the NFL has been a little bit behind in that regard, and along the same lines, some teams have been further behind because it is an investment of money. It is an investment that's pretty hefty through through tracking yeah. devices and everything. Some teams have been slower to get on board th- than others. So really, there's no excuse for not being on board fully 100% right now. Um, I don't know that you can put your finger on it or blame anybody per se, because yep. like I say, injuries are going to happen. As a GM, I just think you've got to be ready for everything. And, and sometimes yep. the most catastrophic things that you never think are going to happen, you've got you've to be ready for that too. You know, and the Chargers have earned that reputation over the years for not uh, for erring on the side of not spending, the irony a little bit this year is that they did spend in free agency in a way that they haven't always done, getting Khalil Mack or veteran. They players. spend on front line guys. Front guys. That's yep. my point. But it doesn't mean that it, that that it doesn't mean that that then trickles through your whole system of operation of how you do things. Or your fifty-three man roster. Or your fifty-three man roster. Those yeah. were kind of one-off expenditures. It doesn't mean that everything's changed. So now we're playing a rookie for Slater. You know, you know, so just planning, that's all. Yeah, because really one of the thing, one of the issues in this whole division of the AFC West was, hey, whoever figures out their right tackle situation, because the right tackle is kind of an issue for everybody, right. uh, you know, could have an edge. Well, now they're going to try to figure out right and left tackle. That's a lot with yep. your quarterback having bad ribs. So 
Chargers? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And and we didn't even get to the the, the quarterback playing with bad ribs down twenty one in the fourth quarter. You know, that's a Which whole is other its topic. Own thing. Yeah, that's now because of the Tua thing, that's off <laughs> no one's talking about that because the Tua handling thing right. was, was more egregious. Did you have a big problem with that? I did for the final five minutes. I didn't understand it at all, I'll be honest with you. And I know that the quarterback always wants to be out there. He wants to prove his toughness and every angle to to the rest of the team. But I think in that case Brandon Staley could have put his foot down and said, Hey, we got you, Justin. We're going to protect you right now. You can go over and yell and scream all you want, but I'm not going to lose you because if that kid gets hurt worse in a game that looked like they had no chance to win, their season's over. Not only that, if because I, I could agree playing them a lot of the game, but that last drive after it's four touchdowns and I don't know, it was a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. If he suffers an injury in that in that drive, like a punctured lung or something yeah. is out for the year. There could be the fallout from that could be unbelievable. Like yeah, no you doubt. suddenly now have a, a year where you win three games or something. Yep. Um, that you don't just wash your hands of that. So I, I think Correct. plus just the right thing to do with with the quarterback. Okay, they lost thirty eight ten to the Jaguars. Randy, are you in on the Jaguars? They're two and one, and they dominated thirty eight to ten. I don't think anyone had thirty eight to ten filled out um, My, for yeah. that one. Yeah. My, I've been impressed. Obviously, the quarterback has made strides in a real offense with some real coaching. I think that's been yeah. he's been the most obvious step forward with that group. But having done this, coming in and take over a culture that has struggled forever. Yeah. We did it in New Orleans in 2000 when I left Seattle. That's what Doug Peterson and his crew has done now. And really, to, to put a cap on them to say they weren't good is blame shame on us. Because what happens is... He has gotten through to that team. His coaches have gotten through to that team. They've changed the dynamic of that team. And now all of a sudden they think they can do things. And, and they don't have to be the most talented team in the league to win the games that they're winning. They, they have bought in big time. So what he's done is he's got them to come together. And that's coaching last time I checked, right? And it is a great job of, by him and his staff to get these group, this group to buy in. They're ready to go. They, maybe it's because they've lost for so long. It was that way when we got to New Orleans. They wanted to just be led by guys who knew what they were doing. I think that's the case in Jacksonville now with Doug Peterson and his crew. Yeah, New Orleans had never won a playoff game. You guys come in, win a playoff game in the first year. I wonder if taking over such a bad situation. So, so the Jaguars have been bad for 10 years, yeah. uh, the, ever since the owner has owned the team. But yeah. it really bottomed out with the cultural thing with Urban yeah. Meyer to where, I mean— I wonder if it was a, just a great opportunity off of that for somebody who, uh, f- for an experienced coach like Doug Peterson to come in. Maybe it's an easier buy-in when everyone was, when when you look so much better to the previous uh, regime, right? That it's yeah. like, hell, whoo, something relief, for we are with you, you know? Yeah, something to be said. I totally agree. I think the, yeah. he was the right hire for them at the right time. And, and so yep. far, you know, a month in, yep. I think you'd have to concur. Yeah, do you like uh, now they took uh, Walker, uh, Trevon Walker, the first pick of the draft, uh, you know, a big uh, a guy. Do you like? I sort of sense of. I've always, I mean, shoot, last year they beat Buffalo six to three, and they can they could kind of be get after you a little bit up front. Do you like sort of? Is there a visceral toughness to their team that you think uh, ties through that draft selection, and sort of is a reflection of the kind of what they want to be with Trent Baalke sort of being a parcells guy or is that way overstating it randy no i think there's some truth to that for sure i think yeah. uh big guys are what this game's all about and i think they made a made a case for they're going to either have a big guy or a fast guy there's a couple teams for example like atlanta who's picked in the top five the last two years 
didn't get a big guy or a game-changing fast guy in either draft. So that's almost fatally yeah. flawed to me. And yeah. I think Jacksonville was willing to take the non-sexy pick in Trevon Walker uh, and do something with him now. And they've put him in great spots week in and week out to make the plays. And and not only that, to eat up innings as a five technique yeah. in their defense. So I love the pick. I, I think he can. we can build around him. They already had a good rusher on the other side. So I think yep. they've got a good group, like you say, with some visceral toughness that should carry on. And again, I don't know if they're deep enough to hang for 17 weeks because they'll have some injuries and a couple sure. setbacks. But I've been impressed so far, for sure, with the team build and the execution of the team that, that Doug has week to week. Yep, there's an identity there. Let's touch on uh, Justin Fields has not completed more than eight passes in a game, yeah. Randy, this season. And shoot, he had his rocky moments last year, but there were some flashes too. There were some games, where I think, where he said, oh, okay, that was a little better. He even came out and said, hey, I played like crap. I've got to be better. He's averaging 97 yards passing a game uh, through three games. Worried? Um, not necessarily. I think it's part of the process. I think everybody develops at a different time frame. I think last year was a total waste for him. We saw the Matt Nagy offense. We didn't see any growth with this kid yep. at all. I thought the speed of the game would slow down for him this year. Maybe it will in time, but he's going to have to find a way to hang in the pocket and get rid of the ball a little quicker. I haven't studied their system offensively, so I don't know exactly what they're asking him to do. Obviously he should be, uh, you know, able to have be a productive quarterback halfway through, you know, second year, especially when you played as much as he did last year. We'll see. Um, I think that's a total rebuild. And really, you almost have to take this for him like another rookie year. So uh, let's get back. Yeah. Let's revisit that week eight or nine. I wonder if he's a Daniel Jones sacrifice here that the, they're doing all this stuff and, it's, and he's going to be lost in the wash. You, you hope not uh, yeah. for his sake. And hopefully now they have uh, they're not going through a bunch of years of uh, incompetent coaching. Time will tell on that. Hopefully they're in a better situation. But, man, it's been rough right. to watch, and I almost felt bad for them watching, uh, watching some of their games. Um, That's also another team, Mike, that had a bunch of changes up front in the offensive line, yeah. and they haven't come together. They haven't worked out. Again, changing offensive lines on paper is one thing, but getting them to play together is a longer-term yep. uh, solution that we've just got to wait and see. And their GM is a former offensive lineman himself, yep. Ryan Pohl. So hopefully that's one area that he can figure out. Although it doesn't guarantee. I mean, we've nope. seen uh, shoot, we've seen Ryan Grigson. We've seen Steve Kime. They haven't always had the best um, offensive lines. Uh, Jets tackle situation caught my attention because uh, I've been saving receipts on the Jets here um, <laughs> yeah. the last couple of weeks. Did, but... did he put a target on himself with that comment from here on in? He did for, for you, and I really like I really like Shala. Yeah, I mean he's a really engaging and bright guy if you've ever talked to him. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's a tough job for a first-time yeah. coach there uh, in that market with that franchise. Just in general, I mean, there's there's easier places to take over <laughs> yeah. and go. And yeah, I think you can. They say never let you see it, never let them see a sweat. Well, I think it's hard to not sweat there in that market, and you get it. You know, you're you hear it, you hear the noise, and. Um, I, think I think the noise has been calm for him, to be honest with you. I think it could be a lot worse. Yeah. I think it, when you They've consider no Joe Douglas being there four years, and this is his fourth season, and I know this is his second year, but for them to be sometimes so chaotic and messed up uh, on Sundays, I'm surprised that the heat isn't more and the, the noise okay. isn't louder. Yeah. So here's what's caught my attention this week. Some of my good friends in the media who do a great job covering the Jets, I've seen some things out there kind of in Twitter and this sort of thing. Hey, Look, you can't just be too harsh on the Jets for having bad luck with these injuries at tackle. And bells are going off in my head because I'm thinking, all right, 
I can see you sitting up in your chair there a little bit, Randy. <laughs> um, you know, Makai Becton, yeah. uh, Dwayne Brown, now George Fance out, not that he was left tackle, but um, what do you think of their accountability? Bad luck for the Jets here or team building issues? I think a little of both. I think they have some team building issues. It seems like they've really put themselves uh, in a position to win like a draft pick or win a free agent acquisition. But the, the way they come together once they get there they don't always play good. So I think they've got to find a way to transfer. And I, and I think Joe Douglas, the GM, has done some good things. But the team build is the part that comes together. And maybe that falls a lot on the coaching staff, and in this case, Robert Sala. That just hasn't happened. And this is the second coach as well. So there's some disconnect, whether it's the criteria we set for the kind of guy we bring in. I know we won the press conference because we had three first-round picks and Sauce Gardner's this, Sauce Gardner's that. Well, he's kind of been average too, if you ask me, if you really look at it closely. The, the rusher they got from Florida State, average, been okay. So those those picks just haven't jumped and made this team a lot better. So something's holding it back. And I guess time will tell. We're willing to give Robert Sala because, like you said, he is a good guy. You can understand where he's coming from. He's passionate. I think he's sincere. Time will tell. I don't know. I just This yeah. team has not come together uh, for what seems like an eternity. You know, We're going to talk about another team, but these teams that seem like they're in rebuild for four or five yep. years, I, I struggle. Yep. Specifically, uh, specifically the left tackle situation, you know Mackay Becton is a 370-pound man with injury yeah. and performance and consistency. You know Dwayne Brown's 37 years old and has basically had a foot in retirement for the last couple of years where he's like, yeah, you know, I'll play if the money's good enough. Right. Um, you know, but we so had to talk him into playing. Yeah, to talk him into playing. So, yeah. you know, that is not an ideal situation. Let's get on the GM's notebook this week. Randy, what do you got? What did you sort of scribble down on the napkin as you were doing your film work and that sort of stuff? Well, it started last week for sure for me in that Dallas's win over the Giants. Um, mm -hmm. I thought Dallas probably played their best game offensively that they've played in a while in a style that I think they need to continue to play even when Dak comes back. You know, Cooper Rush was really good in that he was efficient, no delay of game calls, got the team in and out of the huddle. I thought he, Cooper Rush has been really calm and cool and collected and probably is making himself some money for somewhere down the road at some point. I just thought he was outstanding. He makes the throws that he has to make. I think when you, when you uh, rush the ball like they did, I think they had 175 yards rushing. Yeah. Both backs got the ball. Both backs carried and were productive and then threw for 200. I mean, it's the perfect formula, right? I thought that the plan um, that Kellen Moore put forth was the best plan he had done this year for sure. And I think there's something to build on there. So I liked where they were coming from. And, and I think Cooper Rush is a name we're going to probably hear for a while uh, around the league, if not in Dallas, somewhere else. One of the things that we've heard is, God, the game plan sure looked different for Cooper Rush. You know, wow, almost in an exciting way. And, and I almost feel like Dak Prescott said a little bit of a low here, you know, that he was he was, uh, I thought, rising early last year, coming back from the injury. Then I don't know what he did with his calf. It wasn't good. He wasn't as good the rest of the year. It wasn't looking great before he got hurt. Obviously, it was hurt very early in the year. Um, how do you feel about him? Because he's been in that system a while. I mean, do you yep. think he comes back now and it's going to be great? Or uh, do you sort of like, you know, Jerry Jones is talking about he wants a quarterback controversy, which is ridiculous, but yeah. on its own merits. But right. I mean, I don't know. What do you just think of the whole quarterback picture there? Well, I remember us talking about this about halfway through last year. And one of the questions I had was Dak's sharpness and his decision making and his ability to process and get the ball out. It didn't seem like it was as sharp as it was prior to his 
bad leg injury. Yeah. What I'm seeing out of Cooper Rush this year is decisiveness. I think the ball's coming out on time. I think there's much more crispness to the decision-making and the processing than even when Dak was in there. So I think there is a comparison to be made. I don't know how it works out. I don't think there's any way Dak doesn't have no. his job when he comes back. Course, That's not yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. But I'm saying that the proficiency by which Cooper Rush is running this offense has got to be matched by Dak this season at some point. Otherwise, there will be something to talk about. Dak has to sort of get his edge back, right? Yes. His sort of mental edge of the game and playing it fast and not yep. just a guy coming back. He has to come back and really be alive and yep. and hit it and and mesh with the coordinator and just have it feel right again. And we, ha- we just haven't seen that for a Correct. while um, from him. So. Yep. That's definitely something to look for after he comes back. You got Washington on your list in the, in the division. They're playing Dallas. You know, Wash- yeah, Washington's the other team that I kind of lump in with the Jets, and I, I really don't know why, other than it always seems to me like they're worse than they should be. They're, they've been in a rebuild year for four years. I think this is Rivera's third or fourth year, might be his fourth year. Um, I just think they've been kind of embarrassing again this year. I feel like, and, and I know Ron Rivera's a good coach. I spent time with him with the Chargers. The further removed from running the defense he gets, I think the worse this franchise suffers on Sunday. I am because so that's with what you. he is. Yes, yeah, and and I like the head coach who coaches the whole team and doesn't have to be calling the plays. But I think they've got a real issue there. His loyalty to Jack Del Rio. Yep. Um, Jack Del Rio was probably a better head coach than he was a defensive coordinator. Uh, would you agree with that? Yes, hundred um, percent. I I think that. These coordinator roles are so important um, that you can see in Detroit they get Ben Johnson in there. It's a and I know they got some better talent than they had before too, but it's like you're excited about what they're going to do next. And I said coming into this year, uh, talking to Ben Standig who covers Washington for us on on his podcast when I was at Commanders Camp, who is out there going? I can't wait to see what Jack Riddell Real is going to do with yeah. this defense. I think that if that could end up being what brings down um, you know, what brings down Rivera if he doesn't have the right guy running that defense that that had talent up front. I know they've had injuries and whatnot, but that they're not good enough on that side of the ball at all. And I'm willing to take it to the other side too, Mike. Nine sacks last week, and Scott Turner runs that side of the ball. It's not Norv. It's his kid, Scott. So I think what we're saying here is and we have this saying around my place and have for years because they know how I feel. I'm not for the friends and family plan. I'm not. I'm not going to hire friends, family, everything else that goes with this just to have my guys around me. I want competent and the best I can find. And and again, Scott Turner and, and the offense for Washington has struggled just as much, in my opinion, as defense. When you give up six, nine sacks, that's there's systemic issues there. That's a problem. And I'm not willing to blame it all on Carson Wentz. So I think both sides of the ball have some share in this blame. But I think it's because Ron got away from this, hired friends and family. You could even say that the, the front office roles are filled with friends and family as well. People Herney, that's familiar. Marty Herney in there. Yep. More friends and family. So I think the friends and family are great if it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> but I don't think it's friends and family if we're going to go battle Sunday to Sunday. Is I don't think that's what serves yeah. you best. And I do think the offense has had at least some hot halves here. And I do think that Carson Wentz, I mean, of those nine sacks, I mean, I, I don't know. I think a, a fair number were on him. But I think what your your point more broadly is is very valid in terms of what is sort of the ethos of our organization. What, right. what, what, at what 
stage is accountability the most important thing? Yep. And that's a above question. and beyond the friends and family stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. 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 But but that's but how you handle that stuff permeates then how you do everything else. Yep. Um, no doubt. So there. A uh, Pro Bowl went away, Randy. You happy? Ecstatic. Never watched God, it. It was hard uh, to watch. I thought it was the worst thing on TV that the league could put out. The worst content every year. It wasn't football. It was bad for the game. A bunch of guys running around, you know, playing grab ass for the most part. Don't want to hit. See that. Don't want to yeah. get hit. I mean, it was almost insulting to anybody that would watch. And, and for those guys that played it, and I understand, they're not trying to get hurt. I get it. But for them to say this is something people care about and want to watch, it's total embarrassment. So they couldn't get rid of it soon enough for me. And I think maybe the players wanted that at the end of the day. And that's why they stooped so low with effort and everything else in that game. Um, I'll be interested to see what replaces it. I know they're going to have a skills competition and all that, but football is football. So we'll see. Remember when guys used to, I dug up a couple old clips. Guys used to hit in that game, you know, yeah. you got to the, especially the fourth quarter. Remember Sean Taylor <laughs> just I saw lighting up the put puncher. Out. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, and then everybody's celebrating and stuff. It just shows you how the, in a lot of ways, the game's changed for the better in terms of concern uh, for the player. Obviously, we talked about a, a, a setback in that realm with with Tua, but I think in general, you know, the game's gotten better that way. But those were some. There was something to those days too when guys were really competitors uh, in that realm too, and really wanted to go out. That I do admire. I do admire. And now again, guys. we're all friends and family and part of the same union, and everybody just goes out and they might as well put flags on their hips, you know, yes. running around trying to do that. Yep. Yep. Um, okay, what else did you have on your list? A couple more in the GM notebook. The other one that, that I thought was funny, and, and you probably saw it, was the Ken Dorsey meltdown after the oh, Miami yeah. game in, yeah. in Miami. And, you know, Ken Dorsey's going to be a candidate for head coaching jobs this, this year, if not this year, next year. Former quarterback at Miami and in the league, I think is known for the most part for being a calm, collective guy. He completely lost it. He didn't get the uh, memo from the league that said we're supposed to take care of these iPads and and we're not going to smash them like Tom <laughs> Brady went through two the week before. So I just thought it was kind of comical. But having said that, I've been there. I understand it. We all can have a meltdown. We're all capable of having a meltdown. I remember I had one or two as a GM. It just it goes to show how much you put into this thing on Sundays and if it doesn't happen, the frustration level can even rise above where the calmest, most level-headed people in the whole world can can still let it affect him. And, and it got him that time. I just it, it was kind of interesting. I wondered, will he have to answer that question in these head coaching interviews now? Do you think it'll be brought up in these interviews? I think it's a it creates a perception of a person yeah. uh, that you can't you know that first impression. I mean, how many people knew Ken Dorsey played in the league? They knew he was the coordinator there, but this is probably the number one thing now that people will associate him with, which I don't think helps him. It probably is something he uh, has to has to overcome. I was even thinking though before that happened, they kept showing these they keep showing these things these cameras in those booths. I've been kind of surprised that they have those and they're showing yeah. them in real time because <laughs> I think if you're there at work, it's there, but you don't you forget that it's there. You're in the middle of your job. And I think all of us feel like we should probably be able to, in our worst moment, slam your fist on the desk and yell a curse <laughs> word, right? I mean, have you ever done that when you're not in a professional setting? You're sitting, you know, something just and you just go, you just want to release, right? right? You're just like. F I did this. it once in a professional setting, Mike, a yeah. professional setting 
with a plexiglass uh, partition between Mike McCarthy, who is our offensive coordinator of the Saints, and myself when we had the lead late in the game and he threw like two or three passes in a row and all we had to do is run the ball to win the game. I pounded on the, that thing with my fist and yelled out the worst expletive I could and told him to run the freaking ball. And everybody looked at me like, what the hell happened to the boss? He just Dealer lost, lost his mind. Yeah, Dealer he completely lost it. lost it. And Mike yeah. looked at me like he just saw a ghost, but it happens. That's my point. It just happens sometimes. You just can't hold it in. And it's a bad lesson. I get it. But you know, yeah. it, it gets the most calm people. Tell, tell me about it. Yeah, I think it's something he does have to deal with. I, we'll see. I think ultimately how well yeah. they do offensively, how he's perceived in his role uh, in all of that is probably the most important thing. But I think that didn't help him. Um, yeah. So is that our full GM notebook or you got another Yeah, one? just one other note that, in fact, you helped me remember this from the Jelani oh, yeah, Woods, yeah, yeah. the yep. tight end from the me. Colts. Yep. Came out of University of Virginia last year. He's one of the tight ends that we kind of highlighted in our pre-draft show or two. Um Caught two touchdowns the other day. You know, this kid's peculiar and very interesting in that he's six foot seven, six foot eight, a real tall, hard, hard to cover guy. And I think they found a target in the red zone that you and I yep. found in our pre-draft uh, evaluations that he's he can be thrown to even when he's covered. This is a big, long dude now, like a rebounder that I don't know what you do. You, you're going to throw it to him even though he's easy to find. And he's always open because of that. And the Colts found that last week and caught yeah. two big touchdowns for him. And I just think he's a he's a nightmare for defenses in, on third downs and in, in the red zone as a matchup guy. I think they've done a nice job getting big targets for Matt Ryan. I just think they're lacking in speed, and yeah. that is I don't a real, disagree. You know, issue for them to to round it out. That was something they didn't get. Yep. That I think is is hurting them. But he's certainly a big target that helps a veteran quarterback or any quarterback. With a, a, uh, in Matt Ryan there. Let's get into our picks and preview a couple of these games before we run out of time. Randy, um, last week, we didn't really like any of the games. We decided to take San Francisco uh, giving a point, uh, and that didn't work out well for a variety <laughs> of I still reasons. would pick him. If they played again tomorrow, I'd still pick San Francisco. Yes. Uh, maybe that's yes. how dumb I am. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we missed on that one. Um, what do you got this week looking at the picks? There's two or three games that kind of jumped out. I mean, there's some games that, like you said, we're going to preview just a little bit of that are really interesting games, but I wouldn't surely put, take a betting position on them. I like Dallas over Washington for the reasons we just talked about in the podcast. I think Dallas is headed in the right direction offensively right now. I think the Washington team has got issues. Um, I think they're both sides of the ball. They haven't been consistent enough to, to win a game. So uh, Dallas is a three-point favor over Washington. I like them. I think Detroit is a four-point favorite over Seattle. Again, a team I think Seattle is taking on water. I don't think they're going to be able to stop the run. I could see a team like Detroit, if they're healthy, rushing for 200 yards on Seattle. How about Detroit hadn't been a favorite in two years, and now they've been a now favorite. they're favorite all the time. Yeah, two of the last three weeks. So I guess Vegas is buying into the biting kneecaps, so I'm good with that. The other one for me, is, is, and I'll just give you all three of mine off the top, is Minnesota yeah. minus two and a half over New Orleans. But here's my reasoning for picking them. New Orleans traveled to Carolina last week and lost a game, and then that night flew to London. So they spent all week in London. I really like what Minnesota did. They won the game last week. Their plan was to always be in Minnesota this week so they could separate the London trip and last week. From a mental standpoint and a preparation standpoint, they have been in their own beds, staying all week long at in Minnesota. They're going to travel. They traveled Thursday night. They woke up 
Friday morning in London, going to go right to a walkthrough and a practice, and they'll have a day and a half to get situated there. But I just like that plan of preparation better. Don't tell Mickey Loomis, the GM of the Saints, that I, I don't like them going over there for a week, but I just like the the approach that Minnesota is is having, and therefore I like their chances in the game, and being a two-and-a-half-point favorite I think is just fine. I think they'll cover that. Yeah, I might take Kansas City. I get a point against Tampa. I just feel like the Bucks' offense is probably – Yep. In a tough spot this early stage, I think Kansas City can rush the passer from the inside, uh, and I need to see Tampa Bay be able to do something with it. That said, I mean, I think that Kansas City isn't exactly, you know, I think they could have some issues against the Tampa Bay defense too. I'll just, I'll just side with Mahomes' ability to create versus Brady and where he's at with his weapons right now. And uh, by the way, do you, how do you feel? You know, it's always a you're always wrong if you say, oh, I think this is the end for Tom Brady. Are you worried at all where he's at uh, over the course of this whole season, or you think he'll be fine? I think he's fine for this year. I'd be concerned if I had to go long-term plan more than this year. I think his his parts have broken down around him now. He's going to get a couple of those receivers back. But the thing that that has got to carry Tampa, is, and it has, has been their defense. They've given up 27 points in three weeks total. So their defense is what's going to have to carry them. So that's a little different than in the past. The thing about Mahomes in Kansas City is for me is the special team meltdown last week, I'm going to hope is a one-off, but that was atrocious last year, last week. Whether it was the missing of the field goals, whether it was the muffing of the punts, whether it was trying to fake a, a field goal and it, it failed. Their, their special teams, which are normally really good, were bad last, last Horrific. week. Horrific. So, Historically yeah. bad last week. Yeah. That's one of the worst yep. you're ever going to see. So you know, if I were to pick another one, I'm I'm pretty much with you on the Detroit, you know, given four in Seattle. I do think Detroit's defense is terrible. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me. Kind of like last week, Seattle played Atlanta. Um, Seattle got 23 points and probably could have easily had more. Like, I think Seattle will score on mm-hmm. uh, Detroit, but I just think Detroit's going to score more. Right. Um, and really what I think of when I look at Seattle is, you know, they've had some issues um, – <laughs> to start seasons on both sides of the ball throughout Pete Carroll's whole time there. I mean, they've had the, this year, the first two weeks, they scored eight and a half points a game on offense. Well, that wasn't even their worst. On the <laughs> they, they, they've done that before with Russell Wilson. There's always points with this team where it feels like the coach or somebody has to kind of take over a little bit and they, they make an improvement here or there. That's harder to do without Russell Wilson. We'll see yeah. what happens offensively, but defensively, They've got to make some adjustments here. Uh, there's got to be some kind of a uh, of a pivot or something to get some of these guys. You mentioned Daryl Taylor in the first game, just looking lost out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily changed. So I'm watching them from a staff standpoint over the next month to yeah. see if they can be representative defensively. Because that was one of the things. They changed staff now, and they right. were excited about those guys' ability to adjust. And I don't necessarily doubt their ability to adjust. I just think something has to change there. I think they've uh, got to tie up some neat loose ends. The details aren't there when it comes to setting the edge and playing gap sound football, and it yes. just hasn't been there. So I yeah. don't know that the players are there at the end of the day for them to resurrect a season that's got off to a similarly slow start in the past. Like you said, they had a Russell Wilson or they had a Bobby Wagner or they had, you know, some of the Legion to boom around there to kind of right the ship. I don't see that kind of leadership and really skill set from players on, on this roster to, to, to stop the bleeding per se. 
It's going to be interesting too. DK Metcalf there, I know he got paid, but he's a potentially volatile guy. And if the targets aren't there, you know, those sorts of things you're going to have to manage over the course of the season. If there's frustration, uh, will be interesting for them as well. So I will take Detroit, give the points. We'll see if Seattle can get uh, things fixed. But just defensively, I think they're a prime target for this offensive line of of, uh, Detroit. And even without Swift playing at running back, the the Lions may have enough. So we'll see on that. You know, if we look at a couple more games that we're not going to pick before we wrap up here, Buffalo-Baltimore is kind of an exciting matchup. There could be weather issues there with wind. Maybe that's a, you know, a, a Josh Allen is sort of a four-wheel drive quarterback. You know, maybe maybe he carries it in that one. How do you feel about that game, not having to pick it, but do you lean one way or the other? I think it's the best game of the week, I'll be honest with you. If I could get on a plane and fly somewhere, it would be there. I would pay to watch Josh Allen every week. I just I enjoy watching him, uh, running game, passing game, just his style and demeanor. I love it. Now you get a bonus. You get Lamar Jackson, too, who's off to his best start of his career. I mean, leads the league with 10 touchdown passes, a 119 quarterback rating. Um, I, I like this matchup. I think it's drastically different. Obviously, the Bills ran 90 plays last week against the Dolphins, who ran 39. Yeah. So, so two of the top five defenses in the league. It's just got a lot of storylines and narratives that I'm kind of waiting for this one to, to play out. I don't have a clue who's going to win, but I think it's two really good teams, and they'll be fun to watch. Yep, I'm looking forward to that one, too. I don't know which way to lean. Uh, yeah. But I think it's a, I think it's a great matchup. Jacksonville Philly is, is maybe another one. Um, could you give Jacksonville a decent shot, or do you like Philly too much? No, I think you could give them a shot. I agree with you. I I'm really on the Jalen Hurts bandwagon. I think what he's done with his game and and where the Eagles are at. I think they're the best team in football right now. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I, I'm all in with them. I think they're probably at the end of the day too good. But hey, you know how this league is, Mike. Every week. Anybody is capable of beating the other team because the other team is really talented. Even the the worst teams in the league have talent. So I, I think Hertz is, is again, another must-see TV. I enjoy watching them. And they have an identity on offense that I'm not sure the, the Jaguars are going to be able to hold up against that running game. You know, you, you liked Hertz's pocket development last year. The, the, the ability to win from the pocket is still a critically important thing, even if you're a dual-threat quarterback. So... At this point, are you? If you were them, I mean, at what point have you seen enough, Randy? Do you would you be comfortable doing a deal with Jalen Hurts? Well, there's no reason they have to now. They can no, do it uh, later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I have seen nothing to say that this guy's not the guy. He's just progressed every step of the way, and I I say it at nauseum going back to his Alabama days. He's gotten better at every stop. He got better at Oklahoma. He got better, you know, when he got to be in Philly. Now this is the second year in a row with the same offense, and guess what? He's got exponentially better from the pocket, especially throwing downfield. I think he leads the league in yards per attempt right now. He's throwing the ball all over the place. So whether he can put together a consistent body of work to to warrant a quarterback uh, uh, contract extension, we'll find out over the next 12, 14 weeks. But he sure is trending that way. And I would be happy as heck if I was Howie Roseman, that's for sure. Because they were one of those teams that could have been in the mix uh, for a quarterback next offseason, right? right? They, they stockpiled draft picks. They, there was a chance they might get kind of caught in between where they were right. good enough with Hurts to not be drafting early, still have some draft capital, but maybe be competing against other teams that didn't do as well on the field and could be picking uh, higher uh, uh, in that realm. So here's what's interesting um, for him is Jalen Hurts has been very effective on third down as well 
-hmm. And look, it's three games. It's a small sample size. I mean, shoot, uh, Carson Wentz is in the top 10 too. Geno Smith is, (laughs) you know, so it's not everything. But Josh Allen's number one, Hertz is number two, and Mahomes is number three. So, you know, that's pretty good group to be in with on a down where it's harder to get that going. We'll see. It's probably not going to be that way the whole year, but there's been enough from him that we like it. And now, do you think they're positioned as a team to be better in the playoffs? Because remember, they made the playoffs last year and then just got rolled uh, by Tampa. Maybe do you see them as a team? You said best team in the league. Do you think they can go to the Super Bowl then? I do. I don't have any doubts about that. I don't know if they'll do that, but I think they have quality at all positions. They've upgraded the perimeter for Hertz, and I think Hertz is that much better as well. So I think their defense is solid. The key for me is, and we saw Slay play really good a week ago uh, on yeah. the national TV game. If he can continue to play like that, I think he's a big has been a question mark for me until now. If he can continue to play the kind of coverages that Gannon wants to play on defense, I think the Eagles are going to be really good and. Frankly, I think they are, they are setting themselves up not only for a run this year, but you mentioned the draft picks. This franchise is well positioned to be good for the next several years. Yeah, pretty good position to be in. From where they were not that long ago with the Carson Wentz fiasco, firing yep. coaches, all of that, I think we've seen some promising things from their staff as well. Now they may lose Shane Steichen to a yep. to a to a head coaching job, but they they just they've just been pretty solid. You know, they, they they've gone from a really bad spot, kind of an embarrassing spot where they had to eat the money on Carson Wentz and all of that. They were a little bit a mess uh, to this situation. Now Uh, you got to say great job. And I think one of the things about them, because they, they've had a lot of kind of front office turmoil-y weird things, but Jeffrey Lurie wants to win and is willing to pay. And one of the points that was made to me uh, when I was preparing for a column once a, a while back, uh, that I thought was interesting was not every owner, when they get to the mountaintop, still has that edge to keep doing it. And and yep. to me, when you look at Jerry Jones, he won those Super Bowls with, uh, you know, got in the Hall of Fame and all this stuff. They've been a mess for 20 years. He's not trying to do he. It's all about <laughs> He's Jerry. Selling. He's selling. He's not yeah. trying He's to selling. do the best to, to win yep. anymore. He may think he is. I'm sure yeah, he wants to mind, win. Yeah. Yeah. But Jeff Lurie is in this thing to win it. And there's an edge to him and there's a commitment and there's a willingness to, like we said, eat, eat the one situation. They're yep. pushing. Yeah. Like that organization is pushing and they won the Super Bowl in the last five years. So it's not like they haven't gotten to the mountaintop. I, I think that's a potentially underrated component to an owner of a team. And I think you have to tip your cap a little bit to him. So No question. I think he's very well respected throughout the league too. He's a different style than Jerry, completely different. Uh, public persona and I think that bodes well for him Jeffrey inside his building and outside his building yep absolutely well hey thanks everybody for coming along this week we've we've made it we're always worried if we're going to make it 30 minutes and here we're over an hour in so uh, there's always something I love it when we get going like this Randy we had no plans to talk about Philly in that level of detail this week we had a good conversation hope people enjoyed it I'm not going to ask you this week where people can find your work because that's the only way I stuck. <laughs> Thanks, the buddy. GM I appreciate it. <laughs> but you can find Randy's work at MuellerFootball.com. Also, he's on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. By the way, why why did the underscore get in there? Was there another Randy Mueller out there? There was. Event, yeah, so. there was. It just didn't come out of the you blue. You weren't going to buy him out. I wanted to be different. An Esquire was taken or something. You, like yeah. <laughs> so at Randy Mueller underscore, yeah. you can find me, Mike Sando, at The Athletic and at Sando NFL on Twitter. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next time. 
This was the athletic football show.